want to give a huge thanks to Ryan and the guys over at Tripwire Ops. Go check out their class schedule and every amazing thing it is they have to offer on the World Wide Web at tripwireops.org. That's tripwireops.org. Big thanks to Arno at ALM, almk9equipment.com. That's the letter K, the number nine. Hit Arno up at A-R-N-O at almsuit.com. First-time visitors to a site, use discount code WDRADIO to receive 10% off your new tug or suit. Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Here we are on episode five of Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. I'm Ted Summers. With me, as always, is Eric Stambro from the Midwest. I'm in Oklahoma. And uh, on the show today, we have Jonathan Katz. Uh, Should be an interesting interview. Eric, what have you been doing the last couple of days? Uh, training and freezing, same as usual here in Ohio. <laughs> yeah, it's not that cold here, thankfully. Yeah, we, uh, we're getting a new dog shipped in, uh, for a department, uh, should be here next week. And then we've got a bunch of handler school starting once we get back from doing our thing at Bravo 3 and our deal in Ohio, in Florida. So, uh, should be an interesting couple of months. Um, outside of that, how are, every, how's everything else going? Do you have anything, when do you have another school starting? Uh, I don't know. You know, this this class will graduate the end of February, and then um, it'll be a break for a little while, and we'll see what later in the year produces. Um, I'll probably do doing some dogs in the evenings, you know, just for pre-training and things like that to see what where those end up. But cool, usual stuff. Excellent. So with us tonight, we have Jonathan Katz on the show. Uh, PSA judge, PSA competitor, equipment manufacturer, all-around trainer. Uh, Jonathan, how are you doing? Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah, no problem at all. Excellent. So you're based out in New York now, right? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm originally uh, from New York, born and raised in Manhattan. And uh, once I turned 18, I just, you know, I love my family to death, but I just really wanted to explore the world. So... I've kind of lived everywhere and, you know, traveled around. I can't tell you how many times I've spent, you know, months in my van, basically just, <laughs> you know, uh, perfecting my craft. Excellent. Uh, so give us a little bit of history, a little bit of background, how we got, how you got into where you're at now, into dogs, into equipment manufacturing, um, the time overseas, so, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's actually, it's an interesting story. I, uh, growing up in New York City, I always wanted a dog. But my parents, you know, were like, look, when it's blizzarding out, we're not going to walk it, and you're for sure not going to walk it, so you're not getting a dog. So um, I was living in Florida. I was, I'm actually originally a classically trained chef, and so I was in culinary school. I was working on South Beach for some famous chefs, and um, I needed a place to stay, and I moved in with a guy who was a friend of a friend, and uh, it was kind of like a frat house, and there was a dog in the house, so... I started, you know, spending time with the dog and, um, you know, every so often the, the guy would wake up 
I, I'd wake up and he'd have like a bandage on his arm. And I'm like, what's that? And he's like, oh, I was, you know, roughhousing with the dog and the dog bit me. So I never really thought anything of it. And uh, one night I come home late from working a double shift and uh, I go right to bed and I wake up at like two o'clock in the morning to commotion in the living room. I come out there and uh, excuse my French, but he's just beating the living shit out of this dog with a metal pipe. Nope. So I basically take the dog, put the dog in my room and go to bed. And uh, I wake up in the morning. I'm like, I'm moving out today and I'm taking your dog. So uh, he fought me a little bit, but I took the dog. I moved into an apartment with a couple of friends. And the second I took the dog out of the abusive situation, all of his aggression came out. So, you know, uh, you know, in my early 20s in college, trying to be a responsible, you know, trying to adult. And uh, I had a vet that was really good with him. He was like a pit shepherd mix. Um, and uh, I said I needed a trainer. So they hand me a brochure. Uh, they hand me a brochure. I, I call up the company and the guy comes to my house to do an evaluation. Um, he, I could tell he was very nervous of the dog. He would, he made me put a muzzle on the dog. You know, he never really came anywhere near the dog, but he's like, look, we can, we can solve all your problems. And I was like, okay, you know, it's a, it's a lot of money to hire a professional dog trainer, but you know, this is what I'm supposed to do. So this is what I'm going to do. Well, he sends someone else to train the dog after about, um, you know, maybe, you know, three or four weeks of training. I'm like, look, dude, we keep working on like sit and stay and heal. When are you going to start talking to me about this aggression? Like, you know, at least it explain to me how to handle situations and things like that. And the guy's like, look, we don't really do that. I'm like, okay, I appreciate it. Your service is no longer needed. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, I'm like, this, this can't be dog training, you know, being a naive, you know, 20 year old, I really didn't know that there was such thing as professional dog trainers. Um, you know, I just, I wasn't, I didn't even know that there was dogs in shelters. That's how naive I was. You know, once I figured that out, I'm like every day in the shelter giving dogs cookies, you know? So, um, I, in my research of trying to figure out how do I train this dog, I came across dog training school. So I'm like, man, that's really cool. You know, I, I could have a career in dogs. I loved, you know, at that time I, I, I moved into a big house and I was like rescuing dogs on my way home from work and, you know, doing a little bit of rehabilitation that I learned from people showing me and what I read online and, um, you know, trying to get the dogs adopted. And I just said one day, I'm like, fuck it. I'm like, I'm not happy working in a kitchen all day for no love and next to no money. So if I'm going to, you know, grind it out every day, I might as well do something that I love. So I, I, I went, I did my first, uh, my first trainer's course at Triple Crown, which is now Starmark Academy. Um, you know, the, the trainers there at the time, uh, Rob Dunn and Jesse Gabriel, they're, you know, national world level ITO competitors, um, you know, a ton of passion for what they do. Very, very talented in their craft. And, you know, they really, really taught me how to handle dogs you know, taught me how to train dogs. Yeah. Um, I, I left there. I, I really had the bug. I went, I literally got, I got back to New York. I got back in my van and drove back to do a police canine course. Right. So, you know, um, first time ever in the suit, you know, uh, got to run away and, you know, curse some cops, so much fun. Right. You know, so um, right, right. yeah. And it's just, you know, every time it, for me, you know, dog training is a, I, I equate it to a train. Right. You know, you, you, if you stay, if you get off of the train, you're, you know, you're going to be left behind. Right. So for me, it's, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years 
And every day, if someone could teach me something new, you know, even as I've heard in, you know, in uh, previous interviews, it's like, even if you can learn what not to do, like, I, I want to see it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Let somebody else make mistakes. <laughs> for sure. And, you know, that, that's honestly, that's a big, to me, a big part of having a mentor and having multiple mentors is you should learn from their mistakes, right? You know, you, you shouldn't, you're going to make your own mistakes you, you know, you, you, there's no reason to repeat the same mistakes they've made. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, um, I was, I did a, an apprenticeship. Um, uh, the company, you know, made me a lot of promises. I graduated my apprenticeship and, you know, they were just kind of playing around with me, um, you know, not holding up to their end of the bargain. And I was just really unhappy. And, uh, well, you know, cut to when I was, Again, uh, before I went to college, I went to school in Israel for the year, and um, I was standing in a square drinking a beer with a bunch of friends, and a guy walked into a cafe three blocks away and blew himself up. So um, it was the largest suicide bombing in Jerusalem history. Um, it was also followed by two car bombs. Um, you know, it's utter chaos. You're, you know, what was I, 18, 19 years old? You know, to, to see the duality of man, you know, at that young of an age is, you know, is, is very eye-opening. So when I decided that I wanted to be a dog trainer, everyone's like, well, what would be your dream? And I'm like, my dream would be to move back to Israel and train bomb dogs. And, uh, you know, I was, I was living in New York, uh, on Long Island. I wasn't happy. And I, one day I'm like, you know what, fuck it. And I literally picked up, I had uh, my little shepherd mix, my pit bull, and my uh, Malinois Uzi, and picked up and moved to Israel. So I get there. Now being, I think at the time I was maybe 23, 24, um, I was like, I was dead set on going to the IDF. I wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to do boot camp. I found someone to watch my dogs for six months, you know, uh, you know, whip myself into shape and, you know, I'm, I'm ready for all that hard work. And I get there and they basically look at me and they're like, look, you're too old and you have too much experience. And I'm like, at first I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I, I want to go through it all. I'm ready to, to start, you know, I'm ready to go back to square one. And, you know, the guy's like, look, you know, he gave me a training scenario and he's like, okay, how would you fix this? And I'm like, well, you could fix it. You know, there's about five different ways you could fix that issue, you know, and I start going, he's like, exactly. You've got too much experience. This is the military. We tell you how we want you to do it. And I'm like, okay, I, I respect that. He's like, look, go, go to the government, go to the Ministry of Defense. They will love you. So I went and uh, they snatched me right up and started me off as a handler. Um, you know, handing me a bunch of dogs and, you know, obviously, you know, from, from my experience, I was a lot used to a higher caliber of dog. Um, but, you know, obviously this is your job. You, you work whatever you're handed. So um, the whole time I was there, I kept telling them I have a Malinois and he's sitting at a crate at home. Um, I had finished my, my friend at the time had helped me uh, um, finish his, his uh, bomb work and, finished his patrol work. So I basically was going over there with a finished dog. Right. And uh, I kept telling him, I got this dog at home. I got this dog at home. And they're like, yeah, yeah whatever. So um, we're getting ready to start uh, new checkpoints. And they, they sent the head instructor over to Germany and he came back with 20 dogs. Now, when he came back, he came back with like five awesome dogs, five okay dogs, and then five, you know, uh, 10 dogs. I would have just, you know, I would have washed, but what, what are you going to do? They tell you, this is a dog, train it, right? You so, um, 
after a month, we have to now start with 10 dogs at this new checkpoint. And they're like, they're, we're sitting there, I'm in a meeting, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an assistant instructor, right? I'm sitting in the back of this meeting and they have, um, you know, it's the, the head of the police, the head of the military, like they're all sitting there, they're trying to brainstorm. They only have nine dogs ready. What are we going to do? So I kind of slowly raise my hand in the back and I'm like, look guys, I keep telling you, I have a fully trained dog just sitting in a crate in my house. And they're like, yeah, yeah whatever, bring him tomorrow, we'll test him. So I bring him the next day. Um, I go, okay, you're going to put out odor for him? No, 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 we're going to hide a ball on a car. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they go to tease him with the ball and he just comes unglued. Um, they, you know, I send him to go search it. He, you know, right away picks it up, brings it back to me, slams it into me. I grab the rope and he's, you know, fighting with me. And they're like, why didn't you tell us you had the dog the whole time? And I'm like, you motherfuckers. <laughs> Dude, right? I tried. So... <laughs> So technically, the dogs in Israel need to be owned by the government. For some reason, the uh, the guy who is the, there's one guy that you know that's basically like in charge of certifying all the dogs. For some reason, he had some weird affinity for me. You know, maybe he liked the you know the cut of my jib, but um, you know he liked me and he liked the dogs. So he basically gave us a, a special certification that as long as that as long as Uzi is in my hands, I can work anywhere in the country with him. Because normally you have to actually test every place you work. So if you're going to work on the border of Ramallah, you got to test on the border of Ramallah. If you're going to go work on the border of Gaza, you're going to go test on the border of Gaza. So they basically gave me a special certification that I could work anywhere in the country. So my, I, I actually, my job turned into a really cool job, which was I was, um, I was a traveling instructor that would basically go from checkpoint to checkpoint fixing dogs that had lost their certification. So in Israel, the dogs are tested on a monthly basis, on a bi-weekly basis, and then surprise tests daily. So they're really trying to keep you on your toes, you know, whereas from my experience in the States, you know, it's like you certify once a year, you know, even if it's every six months. And, you know, you're, you know, we, we just, we, we, we assume that, you know, everyone's doing their 16 hours a month and, you know, the, the dog's still up to par. But you know, when you make, when, when your job depends on, you know, that every single thing coming through, to me, I took it seriously because I'm searching for, you know, things that can potentially kill people and myself. So I obviously take my job seriously, but, you know, obviously sometimes you can get a little bit complacent, right? right. And so they just want to keep you on your toes, you know? So, um, you know, every handler handles multiple dogs. So let's say you, you run a dog, the dog indicates you can actually run a second dog before actually shutting the place down and, and having them blow up a shipment. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, obviously we're talking about a, you know, a, a place that is in a constant state of war, you oh, know, yeah. unfortunately. I mean, I mean, it's not like Dallas. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> so, and for sure. So obviously the criteria, the, um, you know, the, 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 the standard the dogs are held to um, is obviously a higher standard. Not I, I personally, I believe that every dog should be held to a high standard. You know, for me, I think uh, I, I train narc dogs. You know, I, I think it's awesome that you know these dogs are going out and they're they're getting seizures. But you know, like one thing you're talking about, you know, someone you know potentially getting high and killing themselves, and then you know or others, and then you have one where someone's actually trying to inflict harm on other people. You know, so. You know, bomb dogs for me, I, I take it really seriously, just like obviously we all do. Um, um, but, you know, it's uh, so my, 
the dog has to technically be owned by the government. So we basically, they, they wrote up a contract that they basically leased the dog for me for, you know, a dollar a year. And, um, you know, if at any moment I leave, the dog comes with me. So, you know, it was really cool because I got to see a lot of things. I got to work with uh, a lot of being an English speaking handler, trainer, you know, I got to work with a lot of foreign officials. You know, when I was there, uh, Bush was president. So Condoleezza Rice was secretary of state. Um, you know, I, I did, you know, X amount of, you know, uh, searches for her, um, you know, Prime Minister Tony Blair, you know, it was just cool. I got to see a lot of things and I got to experience, I was only there for two years, but I got to experience a lot in that short period of time. Awesome. So, so you were there yeah. for two years. Um, and so what, what's the, the idea behind, like, if you're going to go to the checkpoint at Gaza, you have to certify there and then you, have, what's the, the idea behind that? Cause like you said, I mean, here, I mean, we just kind of have it all over the place. I mean, Eric and I have talked a little bit about, we will later too, and other shows about certifications in the U S and every state is different. There is no national standard, but you know, Israel obviously is much smaller, but what's the idea sure. behind the individual checkpoints being certification? Is it like an operational deal? Is it an environmental thing or what it's, is it? It's, it's definitely, it's a combination of both. Um, because every checkpoint has, as you said, has their own operation, you know, pr operational protocol. Um, you know, the, the handler and dog have to be used to that. Whereas, you know, like I, I ran for six months, a, a, a cargo terminal on the border of Ramallah and Jerusalem. So the, the operations that they had in place at that checkpoint, you know, at, at that cargo terminal were totally different than, you know, uh, on the border of Gaza or, you know, the border of Judah and Samaria and things like that. Um, the environment is definitely different. You know, some places you're, the dog is a secondary search. Other places, the dog is the primary search, right? So, you know, it really depends on the individual place. So to, to, to make the, to set the, the, the dog and handler team up for, you know, as much success as they can, basically making them certify at that, making them train and certify at that individual uh, place is, you know, they feel is obviously going to, you know, set them up for the most success. Gotcha. So would that, Jonathan, would that change depending on who was in charge of that area or that checkpoint? So say a guy, a for, colonel for or general sure. or whatever, and he, he retires, and then everybody's got to redo uh, it? Uh, what they would do is they would go in and they would basically change, you know, whatever operational procedures they're changing and then make you recertify under those new rules. So, you know, it's, um, it, 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 yeah, it's a, you know, things can, ch again, as I, I had to sit in daily briefings, right, daily security briefings. So, you know, they're constantly changing the way that everything is doing. They're evolving everything because they need to be on the top of their game, right? You know, you uh, think about this. You had at least a minimum of three people a day trying to bring something into the country that could potentially hurt you know, thousands of people. Well, yeah, I so, mean, it, it would be like fucking Iran being where Canada is for us. I mean, it would be yeah. like, or North Korea. It, 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 perfect, perfect analogy. So, you know, you, you, you really have to stay on, on your toes, you know, and so they want to keep you on your toes and rightfully so, you know, it's, um, you know, when, when obviously dealing in a war zone, it's, you know, you, you have to be on your feet. So, you know, it's like one of, uh, basically as a handler, I have who I report to and I don't answer to anyone else. So, you know, I had one day, um, you know, when, when we're at cargo terminals, you know, you don't really see, uh, you know, like regular vehicles show up. So, you know, a vehicle shows up and, 
you know, a, a very a older gentleman, very, you know, dressed in a beautiful, you know, suit and, you know, all put together. He gets out and he walks up to me. I'm on a, you know, a gobble gob. It's like a back back loading dock checking produce. And he comes over to me, goes, sir, you know, what, what are you, what are you searching for? And I said, man, sir, like with all due respect, I don't know who the fuck you are. Like you go talk to my boss. Obviously they've let you in for a reason, but you know, I don't answer to you. So the two Shabak agents, which is basically Shabak is the Israeli uh, secret service. They both walk up to me and they're laughing. And I'm like, what are you laughing about? And they're like, you just told the Minir serve interior to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so, you My know, bad. it's like, you know, I, 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 no, I, again, I, I'm told who I report to and I don't have to answer to anyone else. So, you know, it's obviously this is all for security. Um, you know, so it's, uh, you know, you, 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 you do what you're told to do and, you know, and that, and that's it, do your job and then go home and, you know, try to try to get a good night rest and wake up in the morning and do it again. Jonathan, what so, year you know, did when you I, say this was? Yeah. Um, I went over like two, 2007 to like beginning of 2010. What, what was the, uh, the big threat odor then that you guys were working um, on? Most of your scene I mean, most. they're, they're, they're seeing everything. Um, you know, and, and we would train on everything from, you know, points of a gram to, you know, like hundreds of kilos. So they really kept us on our toes. Um, you know, usually when you're dealing with um, large shipments, they're, they're not as scrutinized as like when a, when a specific thing comes through. You know, like we get one refrigerator comes through, that's, you know, that's obviously extra check. Um, right. You know, yeah. and, and look, I've, uh, I, uh, the dogs that I trained, I trust them. Right. Um, you know, I'm handling the dog. I know how to read that dog. We, you know, we have experience as a team, you know, so if my, if my dog alerts, like I, I trust that dog. Right. So, you know, it's, it's what we always say to all our handlers is trust your dog. So if you have trust in your dog, then, you know, you, you're going to be successful, right? It's, it's when people doubt their dog and they haven't gone through the process of setting their dog up for failure to actually see, does the dog actually know exactly what they're supposed to do? So, you know, um, you know, we're, we're, we're searching for everything. Now, with that said, if you're looking for something specific, uh, the Kassam the rockets that um, Hamas sends into Israel, those are powered through uh, uh, potassium nitrate. Mm -hmm. So that's right, definitely right. something that's very prevalent. Obviously, we know potassium nitrate is also a fertilizer. Potassium nitrate is also used in, in um, preservatives and foods and things like that. So, you know, it's definitely a, a, a easier accessible, you know, means of detonation. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're searching for everything all day. We're searching for gunpowder because people try to bring in guns, you know, look, they'll, they'll literally people, they'll bring in, you know, they'll, they'll break a Glock apart and bring in it piece by piece day by day. You know, because all they want to do is they want to be able to put it together and go out and, you know, shoot 16 people. And, you know, they'll, they'll take a, they'll get a bullet to the head. Someone will come by behind them and slice in the throat, but they're happy because they, you know, they, they feel that they did their job, you know? So it's definitely something um, that folks here aren't used to. That's for sure. No. And, and, you know, uh, not to get too much into politics, but you know, it's, uh, unfortunately, we, we do in America live a very, very sheltered life, uh, a very comfortable life um, by way of that. We, uh, most, in, in my opinion, most Americans feel that they're safe, right? Which uh, I'll be honest with you, you know, excuse my French, but I've seen some shit, 
right? I don't believe that I'm safe anywhere. You know, it's, you know, you, you got to protect yourself and, you know, ultimately you have to be looking out for yourself and, you know, obviously the government's going to protect you, but zombie apocalypse happens. Everyone's going home to their families. You got to protect yourself. So, you know, I, I, I actually feel comfortable in Israel when I go out and I go to a restaurant with friends or family and the security guard in the front asks you, which means, do you have a gun? Right. You hand them your permit. Have a nice day. Enjoy your meal. Right. But those security guards are actually there to safeguard everyone that's in there because they're that first line of defense. Right. Because unfortunately, they, the, the terrorists get, keep getting smarter to keep adapting. And now the big thing is they 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 set off a, a small device and then uh, first responders show up. And what happens? There's there's one or two more larger devices because they're trying to, uh, you know, inflict the most amount of casualties. Like these are families out with their children just trying to, you know, eat a eat a nice meal. Right. You know, they're they're not you know, they didn't sign up for combat. Right. You know, this isn't a casualty of war. This is, you know, this is this is terrorism. Right. If you talk to people, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of guys from NYPD over the years in different capacities, and they all say anytime things happen overseas in most countries, NYPD sends investigators and detectives and their people, their counterterrorism people over there because like stolen armaments or whatever will show up in yeah. New York City. So oh, yeah. they definitely have a whole nother level that most people in the United States aren't used to seeing, but it's in the United States. A hundred percent. You got to be you got to be in front of the intelligence, you know, because if you're behind it, you know, uh, not to compare it to, you know, like 24, but like, you know, it, literally all these things are happening within a short period of time. And, you know, it's, it's a matter of, you know, saving people's lives and no one knows about it. Right. And everyone leads their happy, you know, like uh, comfy life and, you know, something actually happening and, you know, the, the you know, everything being sent into turmoil because, you know, it's again, it, it is a dangerous world that we live in. And, you know, it's 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 really scary what people are willing to do to hurt other people. You know, it's really sad. And that's why, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, to me, it's so important that, you know, everyone in the that's, you know, at the front lines, like has to be on the top of their game. I mean, you come back and where, where do you go from there? I mean, you spend two years. Um, I, I came back to work for a friend of mine at the time uh, to help him with his business. Um, you know, he was, uh, you know, just, you know, getting into training police dogs. And, um, you know, I basically, I brought some of the, you know, the, the, the detection side, uh, you know, the experience, the, the deployment, um, so we were doing some police courses for small departments and, you know, training and selling some police dogs. And, you know, obviously I always train pet dogs because pet dogs is, you know, is, is really where the money is, you know? So, um, you know, it's, and, and honestly, it's a lot less stress, right? All, all I have to do is teach this dog to sit and stay and like go to his bed and lay down and like not pull on leash. Like that compared to standing, you know, <laughs> at a border crossing with a bulletproof vest on is, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty low stress. Right. I, yeah, so, I can imagine. <laughs> so, um, you know, and then, you know, I always remember I, I got started in PSA. Um, I want to say like end of 2005, early 2006. Um, I started with my pit bull. It was just a rescue pit. Uh, I didn't select him for work. It just so happened that he worked. Um, I think Ted did. I, I brought him out to that the decoy camp that we met the first time, right? 
I think so. No, you had Uzi. Uh, well, uh, I yeah, I think he was he was old at the time. Um, you know, I lost him a few years ago, uh, but you know, he was definitely the dog that uh, it was just. I was very thankful that he was capable of doing the work. Um, right. You know, and he kind of brought me into this community, and you know, all my mentors said to me, they're like, you know, you want to win, get a Malinois. So, you know that. Uh, I, I remember looking at a dog fancy magazine and seeing a picture, you know, they have like an article on Schutzen and I just remember thinking that these dogs are just gorgeous. You know, I was never really a big German shepherd guy. Um, you know, I, I love training German shepherds because, you know, they're just, they're highly intelligent animals. They're very adaptable or easily trainable, but you know, I just, it's, it's just never really been the dog for me. Um, so I was kind of looking for another breed that I would really enjoy. You know, obviously with, with pit bulls, it's very hard to, you know, be given respect as a dog trainer. I know for me personally, everyone looked at me, you know, like, oh, he's a wannabe thug or, you know, oh, he, you know, he's going to teach his pit bull to bite people. You know, <laughs> um, I did, I did a, a lot of like, uh, you know, a lot of public demos with him, a lot of, um, you know, he was a certified therapy dog. So, um, you know, watching, uh, you know, videos of PSA three dogs and, you know, and then finding out that at the time, I think there were maybe like five or six, it was like four or five PSA three dogs. And I'm like, that's what I want. I want a title that, you know, there's, there's maybe a handful of people that I've ever been able to do because to me that really sets you apart from, you know, like I, I give a ton of respect for everyone that does an IPO three, but you know, there, there's 8,000 IPO3 dogs in the country, right? Oh, yeah. You know, and just coming up with a random number, you know, there's only, you know, five PSA3 dogs alive. Right. And what are we at, so, like 21? You know, I, uh, I think we're like 21 or 18. I don't remember what the number no, is. No, we're, we're still at 19. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that you know, so, and it's not for lack of trying that I can tell you. <laughs> no, no, it's, it, it's, you know, it's, uh, uh, Terry Engels, when, when he was inducted in the PSA three club, his comment was PSA three, it's a bitch. And he dropped <laughs> yeah. the mic and walked off the stage. And that was the most classic, you know, that, that was like out of the mouth of babes, like, man, we, the, the struggle, the, the, the fight, you know, the, the constant pursuing of, you know, showing the dog scenarios, you know, I, I just, uh, listened recently to, uh, your interview with Jerry Bradshaw, which is a phenomenal interview. Right. Um, and I've also interviewed Jerry for my, uh, I do uh, PSA TV, um, you know, just to kind of help grow the sport. But, um, you know, like talking about just the, the, the trials and tribulations and, you know, how, how hard it is and the, the blood, sweat and tears and, you know, really a lot of the stuff, you know, every time I hear the, the argument of, oh, well, you know, a PSA three dog would never, you know, would never be a police dog, you know, could that, never be a police dog. And I'm that's like, that's some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 this weird um you know thing that people think that if you have too much control in the dog the dog will hesitate well i'll tell you that you know that the the, um, the amount that we build these dogs up we need that much control to be able to get them through things without them biting people yeah so oh, yeah. you know it's you know uzi was uh, you know th thank god i still have him he's 11 and a half but he's you know he's, he's a lazy house dog right now um, but you know, putting a PSA three on that dog was, was not easy. And I honestly, I, I love him to death, but I really don't want a dog that, uh, headstrong that, you know, 
potential for hammer reactivity, hammer aggression anymore. You know, the two females I'm handling right now, you know, slightly hammer sensitive, not sensitive to decoy. I love training them. I get to train them with cookies and clickers and, you know, the occasional e collar correction. And it is just, it's a pleasure, right? I don't, I'm not, I'm not sweating when I'm done handling them. You know, I, I put them up with a smile, you know, and I, you know, you know, I've but, but obviously for... that's my boy. So, Right. I mean, I've, I've decoyed yeah. for several threes for people that passed and for people that failed. And there yeah. is a noticeable difference. There are some dogs in the threes. Megan Hamby's dog is a perfect example. Felon is super balanced, super social, right? Like, I mean, yeah. she can she can finish her she can finish her routine. And you can walk up and pet her and then, you know, great. Carrie Ingalls' dog, right. not so much. Odin's, no. a, Odin's a dickhead. Shake, shake his hand from a distance. Right. And then, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, Lee Ray <laughs> didn't get his three, yeah. but that dog, Kilo, that dog's also an asshole. And both of those oh, yeah. dogs are every bit of – a patrol dog if I've ever seen one. And, you know, those dogs are gnarly. And every time I'm around, you know, every time we're doing work with those dogs, you're always kind of tiptoeing and like, fuck, if I do the wrong thing, they're going to smoke me. And so, yeah, I mean, that's why the the whole comment about, you know, if you have a PSA 3 dog, then they're like, oh, they obviously can't do patrol work. And you're like, well, about that. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, it just takes so much to to get a, a dog to that level that by the time you've gotten the dog to a level, they're really of no use to, to departments because they're too old. Oh, yeah. Right? You know, like there, there's really no – there's no market for, you know, selling PSA 3 dogs to police departments because the amount of money it costs to train the dog, time and effort by the time – you know, even like, okay, let's say uh, my dog Cougar, she just turned four. She has her first leg of her three. But, you know, at that point, she's already too old to put on department. You know, most departments want to be able to get, you know, seven, eight years out of their dogs. And, you know, like, you know, you're really you're, you're limiting your time. So, you know, but but if you can definitely train in those scenarios, you know, you're, you're definitely going to set those handlers and dogs up for up for more success. So, you know, there's definitely something from the the, the sports side that can help the, the police side, because, you know, to be honest, all of this training comes from sport yeah that was something you know that, it's that so Jerry touched on earlier but yeah, yeah. i mean like think about all these german shepherds like that that we originally started with in the in the 60s and 70s like importing ipo dogs and making them police dogs i mean a dog that's what's really a a, a green dog right it, it it knows you know it has some foundation tracking it does a little bit of obedience it'll bite a sleeve right now you take it and now you make it the the dog that it needs to be right exactly so you know, um, I, I love the idea of, you know, people going to Holland and buying PH1 dogs, but look at, look at KMPV is, is a, you know, it's very much a, a tradition, but, you know, in, in America, we, we don't have the same scenarios, right? So, you know, it's, it, it, you know, the, the one thing that you get out of those programs is you get bangers. So now, but you, regardless, you have to bring them to the States and you have to retrain them. So for me, right. I'd almost rather start with a green dog, and I could put the training in myself. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jerry didn't say it the other day uh, during the interview, but I've heard him say this. And you know, in however long he's been holding a leash, some of the most challenging work he's ever done in sport or police work was converting Ricardo from a one, from a PH dog to from a PH one dog to a PSA three dog. And yeah, uh, and I well, Jerry's just a masochist. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he wants that dog that, you know, the, the dog was, I, I unfortunately never got to see him in person, but, you know, the dog was a hammer and, you know, it, it was just, 
you know it's you're, you're fighting that you know that that epic battle of man versus beast and the fact that jerry was able to accomplish what he accomplished with that dog like putting a psa3 on that dog like i don't care you put a psa3 on any dog you have my you know you have my utmost respect but you know that dog was just you know so yeah, I can definitely, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, you, you shed a little tear for, you know, the the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that went into, you know, accomplishing that with that dog. So I will say this about the yeah, KTV stuff here in the U.S. If you do get a chance to bite someone for real on a bicycle, it's pretty freaking cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we get a few of those a year. That's They're awesome. pretty awesome. Yeah. We train for that, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is I. I get folks that talk, you know, in the police world, you hear a lot about the sport thing. And I, I brought this up to Jerry a little bit, but I'll tell you this. I tell guys all the time, they're like, well, you know, uh, IPO and this is not really what we do. I'm like, do you watch those dogs track? If you don't like anything else they do, you can't yeah. like, you can't tell me that those guys don't know how to train a dog to track. So I incorporate a lot of that stuff in my dogs when, if a dog will work that way. And I'm like, yeah. You you can't, you know, some of the sports, I've always said, sometimes a lot of these sports are what's keeping this dog business thing alive overseas. You know, oh, yeah. uh, it's it. I mean, granted, there is a crap load of vendors here bringing dogs to the United States, but, um, you know, a lot of them are getting from sports. So oh, yeah, you, this dog, you this can't dog, dog that out. Yeah, this dog we're picking up on Monday um, is – almost through his ph1 and they decided to sell him i'm sure because he has some kind of problem where he doesn't like his handler or something but yeah he, yeah. Was, start, he was started in a club um and you know he's you know that and that's typically and it's so funny that you say that and because when we go buy dogs in europe you know scott and i will tell our guys in holland we're like you know go to the clubs or in belgium go to the club and find the guy that has the dog that everyone fucking hates yeah, <laughs> and they're like, "Which dog does everybody hate?" And there's always that one dude, and they always turn. He'll raise his hand, and they're like, "This guy, everybody hates his dog." And he's like, "Oh, thank you. I thought nobody would ever buy this dog." I mean, one of the gnarliest patrol dogs, uh, you know, that we've ever done had an IPO one, and I think it took him, God, like three or four times to do it because he tried to bite the judge during tracking. He was just a shithead, <laughs> and um, he went to a. Uh, a fairly famous department in Missouri and went through some um, things in there and um, ended up being a fantastic patrol dog. Um, he genuinely liked to bite people and was just a total yeah. dickhead. But, you know, and he was a beautiful <laughs> dog. I could see why they wanted to title him because he would have been mad. I mean, yeah. to get that dog to an IPO3, they could have bred it to anything and made a ton of money. But, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, like you said, putting all that time into it and then getting him to that age where you're like, well, fuck, now I can't do anything with him. And the amount of work it was going to require to get this asshole not to try and bite everybody was just too, I, I know, was just too much for these people because we bought him and another dog at the same time. And, you know, they were both sort of like that. And it's like, just go ask them whose dog everybody hates. Or who's like, go ask them who, like, everybody hates this dog. They're like, oh, this dude right here, his dog sucks. And they're like, I'll take him. And, <laughs> like, he doesn't out. Like, there's all kinds of problems with him for, like, the sports yeah. stuff. But the patrol side, we're like, eh, we can clean that up. You know, it's not going to be oh, pretty yeah. for sport. But, you know, and, you know, typically they have everything we need. And those, like Eric said, those IPO dogs, I mean, shit, we taught that dog to track. In 
like three weeks or something ridiculous. I mean, he was doing hour age yeah. tracks with, you know, crazy, uh, like trail layers and everything else in like three weeks. I mean, that dog was phenomenal tracking dog. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the, the funny story, the, the, the famous story of, um, uh, Arco Kinkert was the, ba- the dog was basically saw, I mean, it was a very pro- prolifically bred Dutch shepherd in the States you know, in a lot of dogs' pedigrees. And, you know, that dog was sold as an untitleable dog. And Bert Kinker bought the dog and in six months put a PH1 on him. How did he do it? With a ball. He's like, they were just, you know, they were, they were beating the dog into trying to do it. And he's like, I'll give the dog a ball. And, you know, he was able in six months. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, so a lot goes to say for, you know, uh, working with the dog, how the dog needs to be worked. You know, obviously I have... Just like every trainer, we have our own system, but for me as a trainer, I'm literally willing to throw my system, you know, in the garbage at any moment for any individual dog. Right. So, yeah. Mike, Mike you know, covered some of that, you know, when we had Ritland on, he talked about, um, yeah. like how he's like, I didn't really invent anything, but I, you know, where the, the point that he's kind of come to is he's got tired of wearing dogs all the time and getting his ass handed to him. And he was like, you know, so... <laughs> he, he kind of threw, kind of said, you know, you kind of train the dog in front of you, and if it doesn't work one way, there's probably another way to do it, and it's usually better. So, and, for sure. So, and, and he kind of said the same thing a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah. So, like, I, I'm always thinking about different products. Um, you know, how can we uh, kind of improve what we already do with our dogs through through you know specialized equipment, right? We obviously we have um, you know we have civil suits. Uh, we have very low profile suits, low profile head and equipment, you know, um, I mean, the majority, you know, let's say 95% of all hidden sleeves are all forearm sleeves. Um, you know, I own a Sainov, uh, hidden leg sleeve, which I love, you know, because you can, you know, it's just another picture to be able to show those dogs, you know, arms are covered, um, you know, body blocked, you know, you, you can still take a leg when they don't look like they're wearing a suit or a sleeve. Um, but no one makes a hidden bicep sleeve. And I, I, I brought the idea to a few different equipment companies and they all told me I'm stupid. They all told me, you know, you're an idiot. No one's ever going to use it. We'll never sell them. Um, you know, so I basically started the process of working on prototypes and, you know, I've probably built like five or six different prototypes, um, trying to figure out how I can keep it as low profile as possible with not being too firm for the dog's mouth, you know, to, to, you know, simulate uh, flesh as much as possible um, with still keeping longevity of the sleeve, right? Because basically what I'm using at this point is um, layer layers of leather, right? But, you know, layer leather breaks down. So, you know, it's, it's, I want the sleeve to be able to be used for more than, you know, five to 10 bites, but, you know, we also still need the dog to be able to feel the man in the equipment. Right. So, um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, I- I'm excited to actually, uh, you know, make something that's actually a, a finished product. Um, because, you know, I think it's really something that, you know, even if you're literally throwing the dog in a back tie or on a table and just, you know, showing the dog that picture of, you know, a guy just wearing a, you know, a long sleeve t-shirt or a hoodie and you can still take the bicep as opposed to the forearm, you know, I think there's definitely something that, that's to, you know, that can be said for showing the dog that picture, you know, 
So dogs learn in pictures. So, you know, it's a, definitely a picture they should see. We're going to take a break for two seconds. Uh, we'll be back yeah. with Jonathan talking about leather, talking about equipment and some other stuff. Uh, hold on tight. Tripwire Operations Group. We're first responders dedicated to first responders. We believe the most highly trained create a safer America. We prepare military and first responders to protect our country by providing products, training, services, and relationships that together no one else provides. Tripwire provides virtually every type of explosive product currently manufactured. We also produce our very own binary explosive, TexPak. Tripwire provides military and law enforcement training, consulting, canine advanced training, and firearm sales and training. Folks, Ryan and the boys over at Tripwire are true badasses in the industry. Go check them out at www.tripwireops.org. That's tripwireops.org. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM Suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit that would make Jacob Davis happy. Who's <laughs> going to Google that to get the joke? Arno uses top quality materials and hand makes each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at alnk9equipment.com. That's the letter K, the number 9, or Arno, A-R-N-O, at ALMSuits.com. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order. Tell him you heard it here. Now go get bit. Okay, we're back. Uh, so we were just talking to Jonathan about the uh, the hidden sleeve stuff and about how the equipment needs to change, or at least that's why I think that discussion was going. Um, and, you know, I couldn't agree more. Eric and I were talking about that the other day. You know, one of the, the sponsors of the show is, is Arno at ALM, and he's making us some uh, uh, some hidden sleeves. Um, and Eric, Hi. was that like, Eric, like three weeks ago you had – that at one of your training days, yeah. the handler got smoked through the hidden sleeve. Yeah. And it's just a, it's just a, um, it was one of those things, you know, we've had dogs wear out the hidden sleeve over, over time and puncture through it. And that, you know, that's just the cost of doing business, I guess I always say. And then this particular time, it was just one of those things where the sleeve had turned just a little bit and the dog, the way he came over kind of over the top, got in that suede in between the two parts and, and like 12 stitches later, <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, pulled all the fat through the suit, through the sleeve. It was, it was, <laughs> it was a good one. And that the particular dog that did that is a, I call him a one percenter. He's just one of those. You just don't want to, do, you just don't want to get that dog to bite you. And, uh, it happens, but, uh, the, the handler or the, the, uh, decoy he's stitched up, didn't miss any training back at it. He didn't even know he got bit. He just thought it was the normal pain from this dog. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i like it 
Uh, it's awesome when and, you have to yell live bite, but the dog's biting equipment. Right. Yeah. And I, the, my guys know, you know, two, two weeks later or a few weeks later, a week, something like that. I see him. I go, Hey, sorry. I didn't call to check on you. Cause you know, I really don't care. So <laughs> they, they know I don't have, I get bit. I don't have any sympathy for anyone else that gets bit. So, Oh yeah. You just rub some badges on it, right? Yeah. Exactly. Get up, walk it off. Throw some dirt on it. But did you die? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so Jonathan, how does a kid from Manhattan learn that craft of leather making? You know, uh, it's interesting. I, uh, I was living in Chicago. Um, I had a facility and, uh, you know, I was just kind of going through, uh, you know, a hard time in my life. Um, I, I needed some therapy, but I didn't, I needed something that didn't involve having a conversation with anyone. <laughs> so, you know, since I was a little kid, I've always kind of had a um, an interest in leather work, and I just you know started watching some YouTube videos. Um, I had a client in Chicago that was uh, that did leather work herself, and she, you know she kind of showed me a few things, and um, you know I just started tinkering. You know I, I collect knives, and so I really like uh, I make custom knife sheaths, and you know, gun holsters and things like that. You know, I really like the, the form and the function. And uh, I was out of work for, you know, about a year when I was trying to get myself healthy. Um, I sold my business and, you know, I just needed to kind of, you know, regroup and, you know, figure out what was next. And so I started, you know, selling leathers to basically feed myself and my dogs, you know, still make my, so I can still go to trials and, you know, do what makes me happy. But, um, you know, as being a professional dog trainer, my market is really, you know, dog equipment. So, you know, I started making collars and, uh, I make a really nice, uh, agitation whip, you know, as, as someone that I, you know, as a, as a whip collector myself, someone that likes to use a whip in, you know, during agitation work, um, you know, I wanted to build a nice sturdy solid whip that, you know, cracked relatively easily. Um, you know, you could use it to, you know, apply some, um, opposition reflex to the back of the back of the dog's head and, you know, kind of give the dog, you know, a little bit of stick pressure and things like that. Um, so, you know, that's when I was like, oh, I, I went to a few companies to try to just give them my ideas. And, you know, they told me it's stupid. So I'm like, ah, oh, you know, excuse my French, but fuck it. I'll, I'll just build it myself. So, you know, it's, it, it's really cool. I'm actually sitting in my leather shop right now. Um, you know, I built a, I moved back to New York and I bought a house and, you know, uh, built a leather shop and, you know, I, I just kind of come up here and tinker when I just don't want to talk to anyone. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's definitely cool because, you know, I, I just, I, I wanna, I like building the equipment that I would own, you know, I, I like colors and I like, you know, uh, different things. I like custom pieces. So, you know, it's, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's definitely something that's very soothing. Um, it's kind of a, a dying craft, but you know, it's, you know, a good, uh, you'll know as well as I do is good leather. You take good care of it will last forever. Oh yeah. yeah. It's probably, if you're stressed out to go in there and just smell, just sniff and the, all the smells oh, yeah. that go with leather, that's probably pretty, pretty soothing. And then I beat, so I do, uh, I, I don't have a, a sewing machine that can stitch leather. So all of my leather is stitched by hand. So I actually take out my, my mall, my big hammer, and I'll bang the holes into the leather. And, you know, that'll take out some frustration. 
<laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah. So what? I got a, I got a video idea for you to do on one of your okay. uh, PSA TVs, and that is whip for dummies. Whip okay, for dummies. Like yeah, you can't do I'm it. Gonna... <laughs> I crack a whip, and guys are like, how this, can yeah. you do that? It's like they, they look at you like you're a magician. Right. And they're hitting themselves in the yeah. face, in the back of the head. It's like learning to fly fish. You hook yourself in the face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a, a quick piece of advice for people is go on YouTube and, uh, and, and search for uh, people cracking whips. You'll, you'll, once you understand the science behind uh, basically breaking the sound barrier, <laughs> There's no one that has made a, a, a video on how to crack an agitation whip, but the, the theory of, of cracking a bull whip or other types of whips um, is the same kind of theory that you basically have to draw it up and then crack it back so that that little popper basically breaks the sound barrier. But I'm definitely gonna I'm definitely gonna do that. I, I might even just do it as a regular as a separate video, like I did the uh, you know how to wash a bite suit video. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I think I'm gonna do that. Yeah, thanks for the uh, idea. Hey, no problem. It keeps me from doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I can show. I love showing other people. I go look. Go go look at this thing here. I'm gonna go do this. You watch yeah. this. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, what do you got planned coming up? Um, I actually I got uh, I bred both my females. So uh, my female Puma that I just won 2008 uh, national PSA national champion with 2007, sorry. Um, I bred her to uh, my friend and one of my training partners dogs. Um, it's uh, Walter Quince's dog riot. Who's actually himself a uh, two time national champion two years in a row. So um, I'm really excited for that. And then I also bred uh, my female Cougar who has her first leg of her three to uh, my dog Uzi who was my first dog to PSA three. So uh, I'm, I'm excited for both of those. I'm kind of taking a break. Uh, I'm going to take about a month or two away from, you know, traveling as much as I do to work with clubs and things like that, you know, because nowadays a lot of, a lot of my clientele is um, coaching uh, sport dog handlers, you know? So it, it's something I really enjoy doing. I love working with people. Um, you know, anytime I meet a dog trainer, that's like, Oh, I got into this to, you know, to just work with dogs and not work with people. I'm like, I've never had a dog put themselves in a car, drive them to where I was, and then have them hand me a check to train them. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So, you know, you definitely have to be a people person. Um, you know, some people, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty, pretty blunt. Obviously, I, I have a lot of empathy and, you know, and care for people. But, you know, sometimes people just need to be told like it is. Um, so... Uh, you know, some people don't, you know, don't take me as, you know, uh, as it's necessarily perceived, you know, everything is told out of love. You know, I tell people all the time, like, if I, if I didn't care about you, I wouldn't be talking to you. So, you know, it's, uh, sometimes you have to tell, you know, I had a, a friend of mine that was struggling with a title and, you know, he, uh, he's like, oh man, I think I'm going to quit. And I said, can I, can I speak open and honest and free with you? And he's like, sure. And I'm like, are you a fucking quitter? And he's like, uh, no one's ever spoken to me like that. And I really appreciate that because, you know, that, you know, so um, when I work with my sport dog handlers, you know, just like when I work with any handler, when I work, you know, train police dogs, it's, you, you have to hold the handlers accountable 
for them, you know, their and their dog's actions. So, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I really enjoy coaching people because people are just having fun, right? You know, it's, it, there's no right. pressure to it. Um, you know, whereas obviously if I'm, if I'm working with a department, like, you know, a lot of times it kind of goes back to what Jerry was saying, like, you know, as a, and, and it, for you, Ted, like as a civilian, um, you know, working with police trainer, you know, with police canine handlers and training police dogs, it's a lot of times the handlers look at you and go, oh, well, you're not a cop. You don't, you don't know what it's like. Right. Right. And, you know, it's, uh, it very much goes to, you know, what Jerry said is like, well, you, you worry about being a cop. I'll worry about training a dog. Right. And I, and I can help you. But, you know, when I'm working with handlers, like I, I do have deployment experience. So, you know, I'm like, look, do, do you want to go home to your wife and kids? You know, it's, it's simple as that. So, you know, listen to me and, and I can coach you and I can guide you because, you know, if you want to fight the process and think that, you know, you, you really, you know, you have the answers then you know, you'd be no, there'd be no reason for you to stand in front of me. Right. Otherwise I'll sit right. down and I'll take your seminar. Right. You know, and it's, it's not an ego thing. You know, when, when I work with as a civilian trying to gain respect from, you know, a, a police trainers and, and police canine handlers, is, you know, I, I, I'm like, look, it's, you know, I, I can help you, right? You know, I'm not going to, I don't need to explain to you my experience. It's either, either you want the help or not, right? So, you know, it's, I, I, I'd rather, you know, I, I, you're not going to, you know, if you try to have a, a battle of wills, you know, who's, who's more dominant, you know, who, whose dick is bigger, right? You know, it's, right. you know, it, it, that's, a, that's a hard, uh, you know, fight to win. But, um, you know, to me, it's proof is in the pudding. You know, I was in, uh, when I was living in, in Illinois, Illinois is a state that to train police dogs and certify police dogs, you have to be certified by the state. And the only way to be certified is to be a retired canine handler. So, you know, just like a lot of other, you know, sport dog trainers, we do, you know, what we call secret squirrels, right? You know, we, we help the handlers on the right, side. Right. They come to us for some private lessons. We don't talk about it. Well, I had a handler that I worked with. Um, he had a nice, strong shepherd. Um, definitely had control issues um, and uh, distraction issues. And so uh, he was working with me. You know, we were, we were doing a lot of e-collar training. I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of the e-collar. You know, it, it allows you to kind of take the, the corrective collar off of the dog, you know, the physical correction. You know, it allows you to handle the dog on, a, on an agitation collar or a harness, you know, so that at any moment, you know, you, you can apply that pressure and, you know, and uh, – he was like, you know, you've helped me so much. My municipality wants to pay for you to come out and work with, uh, you know, my department and the other departments I train with for in-service. So I, I come out, he's like, you know, it would be my pleasure. I love training police dogs. So I, I go out there and um, they were doing their narc work. And I'm like, oh, can I, can I help you? And they're like, oh, we got it. I'm like, okay. So I, I sit down. Then, you know, it's time to do some, you know, some patrol work. And I'm like, okay, what do you guys want to work on? Uh, I'm like, well, what are you having issues with? Oh, we're, you know, I, I don't know. We're fine. Okay, well, let's work equipment shedding drills. You know, it's the easiest thing. Any, any you know, every dog needs equipment shedding drills. So um, we do that. And uh, the, the handler that I was working with was like, oh, can I grab my dog? I want to do some obedience. So he brings his dog out. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's like, you know, healing over sleeves and I'm like throwing things at the dog, you know, like just working on distractions and stuff like that. And, 
basically they're all like, all their jaws drop. They're like, where and when did you do this? Because last time we saw you, that dog was out of control. And they, he points to me, he's like, this motherfucker that's standing right in front of you. So one of the other handlers comes out and he's like, okay, I, I want to do this with my dog. Okay. And the dog, I said, he's having some trouble with communication. I said, do you trust me enough to handle your remote? He said, no problem. He hands me the e-collar. And, you know, within five, 10 minutes, we have the dog doing the same thing, healing over sleeves as opposed to just picking them up and shaking them and, you know, dealing with balls, you know, like tennis balls bouncing around the room and things like that. Now, obviously, it's, you know, it's almost the end of the day. And now I have a line of, you know, handlers standing behind me going, okay, now help me. So, you know, I'm like, look, guys, I, I've been here an entire day. You didn't want to listen to me all day, you know, but, but now you want to listen to me because I showed you, you know, so, you know, it's, uh, I, there's a, a what, the, the, the thing that I really like to, that I see nowadays, I see a lot of canine handlers, like going to sport dog seminars and, you know, learning from people that are just training dogs all day and day in and day out. You know, because there's obviously something to be said about someone that has a leash in their hand all day. And as I said, you know, in the beginning of the interview is if, I, if someone could teach me something, I want to learn it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I, I always have respect for guys uh, that are police dog handlers that go. If they would go to a sport dog seminar, amazing. If they go to another seminar and actually pay attention, that's awesome. <laughs> most most training days from a lot of guys are a reason just not to be on shift. Yeah, and, for you sure. know, so they're just doing the basic stuff. So, well, Jonathan, where, uh, obvious, yeah. where, where, uh, where's your next trip? You got, you said you're going to, you're going to do less traveling, but that was no traveling. No, you know, it's, it's hard for me. I, I love traveling and I love meeting new people. So, um, I'm just taking a little bit of break just while my puppies are on the ground, you know, two litters. I basically bred both of my females within 24 hours of each other. So, you know, I was like, man, if I'm, if I'm going to take time off, I might as well do it at the same time. Um, so uh, I got a seminar in a, in a couple of weeks up in Albany. I, I like traveling and just, you know, working with clubs, um, you know, kind of coaching and guiding them, helping them kind of, you know, set them up for success. You know, I always tell people like, look, if, if, if there's something that you want to do, right, so you want to compete with your dogs, you want to compete at a high level, find the person that's doing it and work with them. Right. Because unfortunately, you know, we, we are in the 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 day and age of the, you know, the, the insta famous. Right. You know, and, you know, right. there's there's something that's that's to be said for someone that's been, you know, grinding it out for years. You know, I, I call it doing God's work, you know, like, you know, it's it, I'd almost rather as a trainer sit a little bit under the radar and, you know, and and, and work with a ton of people than, you know, kind of, you know, turn people off by, you know, saying the, the look at me, you know, because it's, it's, you know, dog training, just like any other skilled trade is, is something that it takes years and years to, to perfect your skill. And, you know, it, it's just sad to me that, you know, I like you see trainers nowadays that unfortunately it's like, um, you know, going around and, and talking bad about other trainers that have, have accomplished more than you unfortunately makes you look stupid in, in my opinion. Right. So, you know, it's, it's almost like go there, like go, go stand in front of the dogs, go, go be in the dog's mouth, you know, go watch the trials, be at the clubs, you know, stand there in the rain, stand there in the cold and, you know, work on your skills so that when you finally do put yourself out there, 
you actually have something to, to show for it, you know, because, you know, it's, uh, you have, unfortunately, you have so many people out there teaching sport dog seminars that have, have never titled dog, you know, but, but we are in a modern day where people will go to those seminars. You know, I, as someone, I've, I've probably been to over 50 seminars. And, and I still go to seminars. I teach seminars, but I love continuing, continuing my education because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's only going to keep me, uh, you know, a, a cut above. You know, I, I want to be, I, I, my goal is to be in that first, you know, first class car of that train that is dog training. And the only way for me to get there is to continue to, you know, to walk forward. So, you know, it's just a piece of advice to all those young trainers out there like, you know, it's almost like keep your mouth shut and, and just grind it out, like learn and, you know, stand in front of people, even if you're standing in front of people and you don't like what they're doing, at least learn that because, you know, it's just, uh, you know, that, that's really the only way that you're going to, you know, have longevity in this industry is by actually, you know, putting in the time because a lot of times the, the, the Insta trainer basically comes and goes, you know, so. Oh, yeah. You know, and so, in the beginning of my career, like, it, it would upset me. You know, I hear trainers talking bad about me. And then, you know, as time went on, you know, it basically turned to, to well, if they're, if, they, if they're wasting their time talking about me, then obviously I must mean something to them. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they, they probably still or they got something from something you said or something you did. They just won't admit it. Even if it's one little and, and yeah, and with with that said, I definitely pissed off a ton of people by just giving my you know my my blunt opinion on things. You know, obviously, I, I try to work towards my audience, but you know, sometimes it's you know uh, out of the mouth of babes. You know, like uh, Jonathan just said exactly what's on his mind, and someone upset. You know, I, now my goal is when I go and do seminars, I just don't want anyone to leave the room crying. <laughs> so, you know, I, I do my seminar and I'm like, okay, no one left crying, you know, um, I, I, I did a good job. Yeah, that was a win. It yeah. was a win. Yeah. <laughs> so where, where, Jonathan, can people find you? Where can they contact you? How do they get a hold of you? Uh, I got a Facebook page. Uh, I'm just, I, I, I was working for another company, but I'm just starting basically out on my own. Um, uh, you can contact me at Cats Nose Dog Star Training. That's Cats, K-A-T-Z. Um, and then my leather page is Cass's Custom Leathers. Um, I also do have a couple of things in the works that, you know, I can't really uh, talk about yet, but um, definitely something that's going to be, uh, you know, for, for some continuing education for some trainers, um, you know, some events that are going to be a lot of fun that, that people are really going to want to attend um, just to kind of, you know, get the community together, you know, because ultimately we're all out for the same thing, right? We all, you know, as a, as, as police canine, you know, trainers, like we all just want to see better police dogs on the street as sport dog handlers, um, you know, whether, whether you do IPO and I do PSA and someone else does French ring, there's no reason why we all can't share our love of, of dogs and dog sports. So, you know, look, look out for that. That's, that's in the works. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely, I love traveling and working with clubs. So, you know, if, if you have a club and, you know, you're looking for some guidance, you know, you just want a, a fresh set of eyes. You just want someone to come in and, you know, give a little bit of, uh, you know, do some problem solving, things like that. Hit me up. I, I definitely love doing those traveling days. That's awesome. Well, before you hit your dog with a 
metal pipe, call, get a hold of cats and those dogs. He'll take care of <laughs> Yeah. No hitting dogs. He may, he may steal your dog and take it in his room, but uh, <laughs> he'll, he'll take care of your aggression issues. Excellent. So. Guys, thank, thank you so much for having me on. This was really a lot of fun. Thanks, thanks Jonathan. Uh, once your new stuff kind of comes out, we'd love to have you back on. So we'll talk to you soon, man. Uh, definitely. All right. Thanks. All right, guys. Have a good night. You too. Thanks, John. Working Dog Radio is edited and co-produced by Dustin Wright at Bracket Designs. Be sure to hit him up at BracketDesigns.com for any branding or content-related work you have. We were graciously granted permission to use this rad music by Brother Deeg. Go buy him a beer at Brother Deeg, spelled D-E-G-E, dot blogspot, dot com, spelled D-E-G-E, or hit him up on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or any other music streaming stores. Check the show notes for links to both of these creative geniuses.